0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today, on A Transforming Word.
1: Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. First, he says this What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? The answer is none, right? What do I have in common with a non believer? So I'm always challenging Christians that seem to have so much in common with non believers. What y'all have in common? What y'all gonna talk about for hours and hours and hours? If you saved and they not, you find you have that much in common with non-believers, you might need to reevaluate. You might need to have a checkup and see where you
0: really are at. Today, as Pastor Bill teaches from the Old Testament, he points out that some of the Hebrews were commanded to marry only other Hebrews from their particular tribe. Under the new covenant of Christ, we are not as restricted, but the Bible is still clear of the importance of only marrying and being yoked. To another believer while we are free to marry someone of a different ethnicity or culture marrying someone who is not a genuine follower of christ can lead to all kinds of problems now here's pastor bill in the book of numbers chapter 36 as he continues his message keep it in the family
1: i think satan does everything he can do to get a father out of a home to get fathers and kids separated. Some of it's a result of sin. Some fathers have never been in their kid's life, but they made kids and they never wed the mothers and they never were involved in a biblical way. But even today, you know, the people that have had families, I look at the reasons that people divorce for, how selfish they are. Most divorces, most divorces, whittle down to this, people won't forgive. That's the bottom line. Most divorces, you got people that have decided, I've had enough. I will not forgive anymore. I can't stand them. I've heard people be as selfish Christians, as selfish as this. I had somebody tell me this, they had got this counsel from a supposed Christian counselor that I know God wants me to be happy and he doesn't make me happy and so I'm going to get a divorce. And I'm like, for real? Christian counselor? They should be smacked in the mouth and then have a license taken away to tell somebody that that's a viable cause to break up a marriage and then take a dad away from these kids and let them fend for themselves and all of that. I would just speak to us and say, we want to have a mindset about this that comes from Scripture. Even, I think we need to encourage, moms need to encourage kids and their dads to have time, even if you're not with him. For parents that are together, there's so much I could say on this, that even within the family structure, some women are unsubmissive and not respectful, and so the kids will never see that man the way God intended him to be seen because of you. Some men are so weak and carnal and fleshly that their kids will never see in them what God wanted them to see in them. And I just would challenge everybody, whatever position you play, your dad, do your best. Be proud of the opportunity to be a dad and walk in that, that's a calling. Being a father is a calling. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. Make sure you don't blow it and waste it. Make sure that you realize that now it's not a chance for me to be carnal and fleshly and all about me when I got some other people that are totally dependent on me to be an example to them. And then if you're married to a father, make sure that you don't demean, diminish, or cause him to not be able to be in the kids' lives what God wants him to be. They were taking great stakes here to make sure that these fathers didn't get robbed of something that belonged to them. It's an interesting verse. It's a prophecy about the condition of the end times and something that God was gonna be doing in the end times. If you're writing notes, you can just write this down. Write down Malachi chapter four. Verse 6, and this is something God said here. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. It says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Least I come and strike the earth with a curse. And interesting that God's recognizing that in the last days, there's going to be a need for some supernatural healing between children and fathers. And God said, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their kids and the hearts of the kids back to their dads. Something that he's going to need to do unless he has to come and strike the earth. Be mindful of the significance of that relationship. That as we're looking at them back here fighting for the dad's name. Even when dad's gone and dead, long gone, they said we want to make sure his name continues to go forth in Israel because it's important. Now look at verses 5 through 9. It said, then Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, what the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe so that the children of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. So here goes the conclusion and the solution. They said, those girls have their dad's land. They can marry whoever they want, but they gotta keep it in the family. Now, this is kind of weird for us, because we would consider that incest, they're gonna end up having to marry cousins, essentially. And this is before those commands. and It eventually becomes a command and a rule that people cannot do this but it's not so yet and so at this point in time that was going to be okay that was who they were going to have to marry so that their father didn't lose anything that their inheritance their plots of land didn't go over to another tribe but now i want to bring it back because it's something that we see throughout the scriptures here they're told not only can you only marry a believer but you got to marry a believer from the right tribe And I titled tonight's message Keeping It in the Family because something I see throughout scripture is they're told here you can marry whoever you want long as they're part of this family, then you can marry them. Whoever you want, whoever seems best to you long as they're part of this tribe. And as I look at that, I was weighing what would be lost if they were to step outside, everything. So let's say one of those girls is like, well, I I saw a guy from that other tribe, and he's really cute, and I like him better. And all the guys from the tribe over here are ugly, and they don't have good jobs, and they got jacked up chariots, and so I like that guy better or whatever. And if she decided, I just going to do that anyway, then everything that was her father's would be forfeited. It would go over to his family. So she would, basically something would be taken away from their family. Now, what's lost today when someone from God's family Marry somebody that's not from, because that's what's different for us. God hasn't given us any instruction as far as who we can and can't marry except that we be equally yoked together. Meaning that we both are in a similar place concerning our relationship with God. Those are the ruling of scripture for us. So, what's lost in our day when a believer decides I'm gonna step outside? I think it'll work out and many different reasons why people make that compromise, but what can be lost everything. This is from my vantage point, what I've seen. I've seen people make that compromise, get married, and forget that, you know, sometimes when people are looking at someone that they like, they forget that, you know, later on, if y'all get together, there gonna be kids coming. And you're not just picking someone for you, you're picking a mother or a father for those kids. You're picking someone that's gonna be a lifelong example and fixture in your kid's life and cute wear out real quick if that's all that's there. Once you have some kids and you need someone that can make wise decisions and give good leadership and then you're not on the same page. One of us wants to go to church, one of us like, nah, football. One of us wants to go to Christian school, one of us says, no, my parents were like this. Now, neither one of my parents were genuinely involved in any kind of religious practice, but on paper, my dad was Catholic and my mom was Christian. So, interestingly, when I look back at my early childhood, there was a portion of my life, and I've only heard about it because I was so young. I heard that when I was very young, my mom had lupus real bad, and she was bedridden for a period of time. A friend of hers picked her up, took her to church when Billy Ingram was pastoring, and took my mom there. She went to church and she went up for prayer. And she came home afterwards. She didn't feel anything amazing when she was there. They prayed for her, but when she got back home, she just realized as she went home that she was healed. And my older brother remembers it, I think I was very young at the time, but that she just began to celebrate and just, you know, was thanking God and was all excited. And and I knew this because when I got saved, I found this box of tapes. They were all these Billy Ingram tapes. And I was like, where did those come from? And she was telling me about that period of her life, whatever, but this is what I'm getting at. So my mom, at that time, was going to church for a while, I noticed that my preschool was Christian. This was Inglewood Christian School, I went to preschool here. I went to K. Anthony Christian School for whatever grade that was. That was preschool, this was kindergarten. Then I went to another Christian school in Hawthorne for first grade, and then my parents divorced, and my dad was like, well no, nah, if I gotta pay for it, they're going to Catholic school. And so that's when I went to St. Eugene, I was in Catholic school. And I wondered later on when I grew up and I'm like neither one of y'all were Christian or Catholic from what I remember So how come I was in Christian and Catholic school and I found out that it was that kind of stuff? You know my mom was like because she wanted this, you know, it was like well no They're gonna go there and that's why we were at Catholic school and Whatever, you know, I look back at that when you mess around with you know, especially when you are saved and you know better you mess around and have your kids at the Muslim school have your kids you know, you be teaching them stuff about God and they're like, "I don't believe in that. They'll be undoing everything that you're doing. And what's our heritage? Our kids are part of our heritage. You be giving them up. And people don't think about that. You're giving up everything. You're giving up aspects of what God may want you to do. How you gonna serve God with, a, with half of your life, the person that you're one with, don't even know God? I had someone tell me like, <laughs> you know, just, you know, think about this. Like, why would a child of God marry, become one with somebody that is literally under the fathership of Satan. Because you know if God is not your dad, spiritually speaking, Satan is your dad. So you come together and you're married to someone who technically, like, your father-in-law is the devil. You know, like your spiritual father-in-law is, is the devil. Like, why would you, now, it's one thing if you get saved after you're married and that's just what you end up with. But who would, do the, who would go in eyes wide open and choose to do that? We don't want to do that. If you're writing notes, write down Second Corinthians chapter six, verses fourteen through eighteen. I'm gonna read it to you. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses fourteen through eighteen. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And so we're gonna get a list of rhetorical questions, all with a negative answer. And Paul is saying, look. First he gives a command, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. A yoke was something they would put on the shoulder, they put it on like two animals. You took two evenly matched oxen and you put a yoke on them so that you have the power of two oxes plowing in the same direction. You would not yoke up an ox and a billy goat. That thing would just go, the billy goat could never, you know, it would just be a big curve. You know, they wouldn't be able to plow together. The billy goat would definitely hinder the ability of them to plow straight. It wouldn't work out. God says, you don't yoke up with a non-believer. And then he gives all the rhetorical reasons rise. Second Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. So he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. First, he says this, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And the answer is none. Right, what do I have in common with a non-believer? So, I'm always challenging Christians that seem to have so much in common with non-believers. What y'all have in common? What y'all gonna talk about for hours and hours and hours? If you saved and they not. You find you have that much in common with non-believers, you might need to reevaluate. You might need to have a checkup and see where you really are at. So, what fellowship have righteous and lawless? None. He says, what communion has light with darkness? None, you can't mix the two. If you bring light, there goes the darkness. If you bring a lot of darkness, there goes the light. But what fellowship, what communion has light and darkness? None. Then he says in verse 15, what accord has Christ with Bilal? Bilal was another word for Satan. And a married couple is gonna be on one accord. He said, what accord has Christ and the devil? None. They're enemies. You're marrying in the enemy territory. There's no union there. And then he says, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? None. We really have nothing to do with each other. Then he says this, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I thought this was interesting though. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Right, he prefaced it with that question. The temple of God is where God lives and idols are things that get placed above God. And many times, it's relationships where people will make an idol of somebody, and they will sin against God to be with that person. They will sin against God to enjoy a relationship with that person. That person becomes an idol. And so, interestingly, God puts it that way. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He says, no, none, for you are the temple of the living God. God says, I live in you. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord." And he promises, and I will receive you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so, just like it was important then, the role of father, the intimacy of the family, but also that God was concerned with who we married, at every juncture in scripture we see that God is concerned. I did want to give this clarification, because I'm going to look at one other place in Nehemiah with you guys. Sometimes people mix up the Old Testament rulings on intermixing marriage and they take it to mean that God doesn't allow people to marry within other races. And that's obviously false. You know, if you're a Christian, the one rule is God doesn't care. I don't believe he didn't say he cared. Other people might care. We're having a little bit of joking about this at the men's study Monday night. Some people look at age, right? Is there an age? If two people are of age... Is there an age at which someone is too old or too young? In society's eyes, yes. But I try to just walk through scripture. And it might be weird for a 20-year-old to be with a 55, 60-year-old. I mean, people are going to look and say either sugar mama or sugar daddy or something, you know? I mean, it would be weird. It would seem a little awkward, like, you know, like, how long is this going to last? You know, like, I, I hope he or she's going to be a good nurse, uh, whatever. But. There's not a biblical prohibition, so I wouldn't say nothing. I would keep my mouth shut. Now, the Bible is not concerned with race. God isn't concerned with what race of person. By race, I mean, you know, you're black, white, Hispanic, you know, Asian, or whatever. God is not concerned with us mixing that way. In the Old Testament, When God was calling for, you know, Jews only marry other Jews, it was because the other nations were worshiping other gods and the Jews worshiped the true and living God. As you come to the New Testament, God is not concerned with what race of person you marry long as they are a believer. And so, I want to look at something that happened in Nehemiah 13, after the people that made all these vows and commitments about how they were going to be faithful to God, they reneged on all their commitments and... They started intermarrying with the pagan women in that day. And I've always loved how Nehemiah handled it. If we did ministry like Nehemiah did ministry in his day, all the pastors would be in jail, you know. But I'm going to read to you something from Nehemiah chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 23 to 25 for you guys. It says, In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. So those are all pagan nations. So Nehemiah says, wait a minute, I came, I'm looking around. There's a whole list of things that have gone wrong, but one of the things he lists is that, I'm looking at Jewish men marrying the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. These are pagan women that they've married. And it says, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. And so he said, then they couldn't even communicate. They couldn't even speak the language. They were speaking the language of where they came from. It says in verse 25, so I contended with them. I encursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons nor take their daughters For your sons or yourselves. Now, you know, some people look at this and think, did Nehemiah get in the flesh? It says he cursed them, he struck some of them, and he pulled out their hair, and he made them swear to God that they would stop that stuff. I look at that. It's so interesting because Nehemiah and Ezra dealt with the same thing, right? Ezra, when he dealt with it, it says Ezra started pulling out his own beard, and Nehemiah, when he's dealing with it, he's like, I'm pulling out their hair. Bam, you know. And you just look at these two different kind of guys, two different kind of leaders. But Nehemiah's like, y'all gonna stop this mess and you gonna stop it now. Obviously this was a different era and New Testament pastors are not encouraged to behave in this way. One of the requirements is that we not be strikers and that we be men of self-control and everything else. Looked like he didn't get condemned or punished for it, so it must have been okay, but here's the point. When I look at how radical and extreme that was for Nehemiah, it was that big of a deal. He said, man, look, you're not just giving yourself to someone else. Look, your kids don't even know God. Your kids can't even speak the language of Judah. That means they can't even go to worship. That means they can't even read the writings. They can't even enter in your kids because you've intermarried with pagans. And then they know that language. And they probably know those gods too. And so we want to be careful, right? And again, this is more for the singles because if you're married, you're already married and you need to make it work. But if you're single and you're not married, don't ever make compromise. Don't ever get suckered into taking something less than. You make sure that you are everything God wants you to be. And don't be willing to accept anybody into your life in terms of relationship that doesn't measure up. That means you shouldn't even, I do if you're a Christian, you have no business even going out with someone that's not clearly a Christian. I'll talk to Christians, they've gone out with someone, are they Christian? I'm not sure. How did y'all get to going out and you don't even know what they are yet? That's a fail. That's a fail already. You ain't got no business even going out yet till you find out who are they, where they at with the Lord, how real is it? You know, there's a whole lot of things you need to find out before you roll out with them. End up in a car crash and they calling out to Buddha and whatever. So, anyway, moving back on to, come back to Numbers. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says, just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad." So, They obeyed the command that was given that they would only marry within the tribe, which again would have meant that they would have married what would have been cousins. Verse 11 and 12, for Mahala, I'm going to do my best, Tizra, Hogla, that's a bad name for a girl, Milcah and Noah, the daughters of Zelopheid, were married to the sons of their father's brother, their uncle, so they married cousins. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph and their inheritance remain in the tribe of their father's family. Here goes something that I want to point out that's also important. The first part of verse 10, it says, Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad." So they went and sought counsel. Then they got an answer, and it says they obeyed it. And I'll just point this out. It's obvious, but some people miss this step. Some people do the right thing in seeking wise counsel. But then when they get it, they don't obey it. So some people, they, they do take the right steps. You know, why don't you pray with me? What should I do about this? Here's a verse right here. It says this right here. And then they, they go and they do the very opposite. So I just want to explain this, that there is a victory in at least seeking for the right direction, seeking God, looking to God for wisdom, counsel, instruction, direction. But there is no victory if you don't then follow what you get. So they heard the word, but they were also obedient to what they had heard, what they had received. Are we obedient to the word of the Lord? When God speaks, when God gives an answer, particularly when it's not what you wanted to hear, because I think everybody can, when you hear what you want to hear, it's easy to obey, right? There's no, Submission doesn't even count until you get told something you don't want to do. But when you get a word and a direction, it's not quite what you wanted. How good are you at yielding? Because it'll have a lot to do with how things go in your life. I believe that people who hear and disobey, they become dull of hearing. Talks about that in Hebrews. They don't hear as well anymore. They become dull of hearing because you hear, but you don't obey. I believe that people that hear and obey are sharper hearing, they hear God more clearly. God speaks to them in a clear way because he knows that they will obey. And I'm always perplexed and amazed when I read my Bible and I listen to people, they pray, and it sounds like the way it reads, almost like the answers were so clear, they were audible. Right? I believe those are people that were just in tune, they were listening. I look at the story of Philip in Acts, and he was, you know, there, he was serving, things are going great, and God said, hey, I want you to leave here and go to the desert. And he just goes. Felt like God told him to go and he went. And then he's going down the desert to see the chariot and the Spirit of God said, now run and catch up with the chariot and just doesn't say why. And he just starts running and catches up with the chariot. And I'm not shocked that he gets to be the guy that God does the supernatural through and he preaches the gospel. The guy gets saved and he gets caught away in a whirlwind and dropped back off where he was supposed to be. How come he got to experience the supernatural? Because he listened in a supernatural way.
0: You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Numbers, well, it has a lot of numbers, but there's much more in this book than that. During their long, drawn-out journey, the Israelites' faith in God is tested. In return, these wayward people test God's patience towards them. But God remains faithful and true in looking out for His chosen people. When you think about it, it's no different today. People disobey and test God's patience while they also endure hardships and challenges that they wouldn't have desired. But in all, God remains faithful through and through. If you missed any part of this series in the book of Numbers, you can hear these messages by going to calvaryinglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our service times are on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org. Again, that website is CalvaryEnglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time... Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Numbers, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You might be surprised by how things in this book might apply to the very things you're working through in your own life. So be sure to join us again to hear and be challenged by a transforming word.